This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Warscott Files. I am your guest host, Tim Martin. I am a city commissioner over in the beautiful city of Newberry, Florida. I am a fundraiser development officer for the John Birch Society, and I am also the chairman for the Alachua, your local Alachua County Republican Party. Well, I certainly appreciate you joining me here today. We have uh, a pretty good show. I want to kind of cover a few things. Uh, I want to kind of get a little bit of sports roundup here to begin with. Uh, then I want to talk a little bit about Labor Day, A an article by Bill Federer that my friend Al Shirtliff at Camp Constitution had put up. I think you'll find that uh, article kind of interesting. And I uh, want to also talk a little bit about the, the gun summit. I haven't been on the show since that, uh, excuse me, that took place. The city and the county had their little uh, confab over it. And a couple of things came out that Jen Cabrera did a great treatment of over at our friends at the LatchwaChronicle.com. But I appreciate you joining me here in the Ward Scott Files. We are on location here at the Milden Law Studios, uh, the only official law partner of the Florida Gators, protected by your friends over at Crime Prevention Security System. So, uh, you know, Ward went through the UF game on Thursday, so I'm not going to belabor that point <laughs> too much. Uh, you know, obviously, that's going to be a black eye for the season. Getting ourselves started on the wrong foot uh, is never good. And you, you of course, know the, the score. Florida lost. It was 24-11 to 11, uh, there at Rice-Eccles Stadium in, uh, in Salt Lake City with the, uh, the Utah, you know, the former program where Urban Meyer came from. Uh, but so over the weekend, a lot more football is under the bridge at this point. Thank goodness that people can get distracted more by some of that stuff. But, uh, it's been reported at least that Billy Napier, Coach Napier is taking full responsibility, uh, for the loss at Utah, uh, contends that he's going to be, uh, fixing it and trying to address the situation. Uh, but I did find it curious that ESPN put out over the weekend that it was the highest watched opening season game, uh, 3.2 million viewers over at ESPN, uh, to watch the Gators get beat up on by the youth. So, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> it just, I'm sure it tailed off, uh, by the end of the season. By the end of the day or the end of the uh, end of the game, uh, considerably considering how it was actually uh, kind of going on. But, um, you know, I thought the uh, the coach grammar or the uh, quarterback grammar did a pretty good job. Uh, I think the receiving core was wasn't too terrible. I think there's a lot of building blocks. You know, there was one player there, uh, Jonathan Odom, who was running tight end for Coach Napier. He is actually the son of Jason Odom who played back uh, in my day when I was really paying attention to Florida. I think actually I was going there. Somebody can look up, maybe throw it in the comment section when Jason Odom was actually playing. But that's his son, Jonathan, who you saw uh, at the tight end position doing yeoman's work there on the end out of the end position. But uh, FSU looked looked pretty darn good on Sunday. They played LSU, and it was kind of funny because Brian Kelly, former Notre Dame coach, is now the coach over at LSU and he was saying that they were going to beat up on uh, Florida State and Florida State looked very very impressive in that Sunday night game uh, if they continue the way they are they are going to be really uh, somebody to contend with there uh, towards the end of the season when we have to face them uh, I'm not sure I think we actually have them at home this year uh, here but uh you know, <laughs> it's not all lost because I don't know if you watched the Clemson Duke game yesterday. I did not catch the game, but I did catch the score. Duke unranked 
actually took down number nine, Clemson. Dabo Sweeney got beat at Duke. Uh, so it was in front of a Duke home crowd, and the Clemson uh, Tigers got beat 28-7. to uh, if you go to ESPN.com, you can check out the highlights. Or really, most of it happened in the in the fourth quarter. Uh, but Duke, twenty eight, Clemson, only seven. So there is somebody that looked a little worse than Florida, and I think that uh, we just kind of look up to South Carolina to find the Clemson Tigers to to fill that bill. But uh, let's look: hey, Georgia, FSU, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State Buckeyes, the Trojans, Penn State. The Vols all with wins this weekend, and uh, ESPN Game Day should be at Texas uh, and Alabama this weekend. This is a 7 o'clock game on ESPN, so you'll see the Game Day crew over there. Um, so yesterday was Labor Day, and I wanted to actually read a piece uh, that I mentioned. My friend Hal Shirtliff, he runs Camp Constitution. Uh, you can catch them at campconstitution.net. Uh, he does a great, wonderful family uh, camp every year during the summer. I believe it's in July next year uh, up in New England. He used to be the former uh, field coordinator for the John Birch Society up there. He now runs uh, Camp Constitution. But he put out a great piece, uh, and you can get on his mailing list at campconstitution.net, uh, talking about Labor Day and the history of Labor Day. And I wanted to read a little segment out of the piece that he wrote published. It was actually a piece by Bill Federer. Got kind of a longer title, but uh, Bill Federer is from the American Minute, and it's called titled Labor Day. Railroad strikes Governor or Grover Cleveland, Eugene Debs, Socialist Party of America, and outsourcing. So Bill Federer, American Minute, Labor Day, colon, Railroad strikes Grover Cleveland, Eugene Debs, Socialist Party of America, and outsourcing. So you can tell by that title probably a little bit of where I'm going. And it's kind of interesting because... um of course, my last name is Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N. And part of the piece focuses on an ancestor of mine. In 1894, Orison Sweat Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, wrote publish, wrote Pushing to the Front. And in, uh, in, in 1897, he actually founded Success Magazine. So if you've ever seen that magazine on the shelves, that was actually an ancestor of mine. And I've got a kind of a cool little story about that, too. So I'll just pause. We were in uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, I think it was last year, uh, with friends of ours. And my wife and uh, Erica had gone into this little knickknack shop, and they were kind of peeking, picking through these uh, little motivational cards. And come to find out, they actually found a card with a quote uh, from Oris and Martin. And uh, they actually bought it. Michael and I were outside. We didn't know that they were doing this, but they um, bought the card. And my wife actually put it in a shadow box uh, for me as a present uh, because I didn't know that this ancestor of mine, Orison Sweatmarden, had actually found his success magazine. But it was a it was a publishing uh, magazine, inspirational stories of success and. Uh, life through common sense principles and well-rounded virtues. But let's talk, let's go through this article here. It's uh, talking about Labor Day. So it's just, uh, immigrants and it's, we jumped down. Immigrants were not a financial burden at the time of the government as they were not, there were no welfare programs. Extended family members, churches and individuals giving charity provided the welfare net. Some immigrants bought with, brought with them from Europe, socialist and anarchist ideas and exacerbated labor tensions to further their larger goal of tearing down the capitalist system in order to set up a socialist economy. Though no one was forced to work in factories, some laborers began to organize for better working conditions. Organizing flyers were written in English and in German in 1886, May 1886, a protest in Chicago near the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company plant turned into the Haymaker Riot. You may remember some of this stuff from your high school uh, history class. A priest, a peaceful protester, <laughs> threw a dynamite bomb at the police. The blast and subsequent violence resulted in seven police officers and four civilians being killed along with dozens wounded the commemorative or the yeah the commemorate the to commemorate the incident 
They chose May 1st to be an annual International Workers' Day. So it was the socialist commemorate the incident. They chose May 1st to be an annual International Workers' Day. Another incident was a railroad strike in 1894. An ideal factory setting was created by George Pullman, who, yes, founded the Pullman Railroad Sleeping Car Company just outside of Chicago. Pullman saw that workers needed a place to live, so he built them houses in a safe little village around the factory with rent deducted from their paychecks. To save them the trouble of traveling to the markets, he located stores on the site. Workers were paid a company script, similar to kind of like food stamps is what the article says, which were redeemable at the company-owned grocery stores. It was considered to be a type of utopian uh, workers' paradise community in the same vein of Sir Thomas More's Island of Utopia, Utopia published in 1516 and Sir Francis Bacon's New Atlantis published in 1626. The Pullman community uh, worked over a decade until something happened. There was a nationwide economic depression in 1893 and orders for railroad sleeping cars suddenly dropped off. So let's jump down. So a leader of strikes was Eugene Debs, a high school dropout. Debs got a job cleaning grease from freight engines. He was promoted to locomotive fireman and rose in the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen. He briefly served as a Terre Haute City clerk and one-term Indiana State Representative. When the nation experienced the financial crisis, Debs agitated and organized a strike of railroad workers in 1894. 1894. So we're already kind of seeing this long history of strikes and the issues in Chicago, and this is really laying some of the groundwork of that. Soon railroad workers across the nation boycotted trains carrying those Pullman cars. There was rioting, pillaging, and burning of railroad cars destroying an estimated $80 million worth of property in 27 different states. The Debs Rebellion became a national issue when it interrupted the train's delivery mail. So, President Grover Cleveland declared a strike, a federal crime, and deployed 12,000 Army troops to break up the strike. Uh, you know, we have those laws that you're not allowed to deploy the U.S. Army on uh, soil. We've talked about uh, in the news over at the southern border and uh, whether we we don't want to do that. It would be the first time. It's not the first time we can see it here. More violence interrupted and two men were killed after the devastating riots and shutdowns. Americans were discontented with the Democratic administration. Democrat advisor Francis Lind Stinson warned Cleveland regarding the upcoming midterm elections in 1894. Quote, we are on an eve of a very dark night unless a return of commercial prosperity relieves popular discontent with what they believe in democratic incompetence to make laws and consequently the democratic administrations anywhere and everywhere. Cleveland thought it might improve his party's chances if workers were given a day off. So support grew for a National Labor Day. Cleveland intentionally did not choose May 1st as it was the anniversary of the bloody Chicago Haymaker riot and instead chose the first Monday in September uh, to celebrate Labor Day. As far as the 1894 elections went, it did not help. Cleveland's Democratic Party had the biggest midterm loss in decades. Patriotic Americans in opposition to socialists began uh, the celebrating May 1st as Loyalty Day, which was officially recognized by Congress in April 1955 and proclaimed by President Eisenhower being made an annual holiday with public law 8559. But what was funny is while Debs, this, this man that started this second wave of, of riots, uh, while he was in prison for this, uh, he was deep into Karl Marx's Das Kapital. Uh, so, the demands by those socialist progressives uh, that were transplants into there to redistribute wealth led to the passage of corporate income tax in 1894, personal income tax in 1914, and the inheritance estate tax in 1916. So we're going back over 100 years, uh, 125 years, into some of these things that started laying the groundwork. But after six months in prison... Debs was released 
and he founded, guess what, the Socialist or the Social Democracy of America in 97, the Social Demo- Democratic Party of America in 1898, and the Socialist Party of 1901, Socialist Party of America 1901. Uh, so there's a little bit of history of Labor Day you probably did not know about, and I wanted to go through that. It was funny, my uh, my wife asked me whether or not we were off yesterday uh, from work, and I said, "Well, it depends. I don't know if it's a if it's a communist holiday <laughs> or has history in the as a communist holiday, but uh, certainly, certainly, it sounds like it it does." Uh, so I just wanted to lay a little bit of groundwork uh, for you with regards to Labor Day. What do you think about that? Uh, did you know that? Did you know the this this uh, Socialist Party of America was founded out of that in 1901? Uh, because what we're going to do here today is sort of tie this back into, as the show title talked about, guns and the Federal Reserve and inflation. Uh, because that period, uh, entering into that period with Woodrow Wilson as a president in the early 1900s, really sort of so showcases the groundwork of where we are today, you know, 110 years later. Uh, but now let's talk a little bit about our second topic. It's the uh, the gun violence summit uh, that took place here in Gainesville a couple, I guess probably about four weeks ago at this time. Again, I haven't been on the show uh, since then, but, uh, and just as an aside, I'm trying to keep track of the comments here. Thanks, Ken. Uh, thank you, Mr. Cook. I appreciate you checking in on the show today. Maybe Jody uh, Davis will check in with us here shortly, Lloyd Bailey. A couple of the usual suspects here as we're talking today, this day after Labor Day, uh, September 5th, 2023. So the, uh, the joint meeting between the county and the city uh, is recapped super, super well over at AlachuaChronicle.com. Our friend Jen Cabrera here uh She's got a great article posted up yesterday, featured article, so you don't have to even scroll forward. It's right there at the top. City and county commissioners vote to partner on gun violence task force, and Duncan Walker suggests a new office of neighborhood safety, a new neighborhood of safety, whole new entity. So in this meeting, uh, according to her article, there were really kind of three uh interesting talking points, proposals that were brought forward. So you've got the Gainesville City Commission and the County Board of County Commissions uh, agree on three proposals to take a look at. So one is the is a violence prevention task force uh, setting up a separate or alternative group with city staff and stakeholders selecting the members to provide further recommendations uh, but then there's another entity, the Joint City and the County Gun Violence Prevention Alliance, uh, with Santa Fe College as a suggested lead organization. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I didn't watch the joint meeting, uh, but I'm not really sure where the Santa Fe tie-in comes in other than the Gainesville City Commission and the County Commission just kind of want to try to delegate that off of their plate. That way, if they screw it up, they can point at them and they won't have to take any responsibility for it. Uh, but maybe that's just eh, maybe that's just my cynical nature talking a little bit about that. Um, but a prevention task force, uh, a, a working group, and a prevention alliance with Santa Fe as the lead. But, uh, yeah, Desmond Walker, uh, she's a city commissioner for the city of Gainesville. She's uh, suggesting an office of neighborhood safety, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, so the, the takeaway here for me was really just this propensity by these liberal progressives to just grow government. Everything is an, is, answered by growing government and or spending more money. Well, how has that been working out for us over the last hundred years? Growing government, spending more money, it's not working. And uh, it's it's just very, very just tragic uh, because there's so many people that are caught uh, in the crossfire of this topic, pun intended, because we're talking about guns and we're talking about violence. And I thought it was very interesting in the joint meeting as well that Chuck Chestnut felt compelled to suggest 
that the entire culture of the gun violence hinged on the complete lack of respect for life, which I totally agree with him on that. We have gotten to a culture where we don't respect life. We don't respect our neighbor enough. And of course that's in isolated areas, not everywhere. I don't want to paint with too big of a brush, but, uh, and, and that was something that Prizia, uh, chairman or chairwoman, uh, Prizia had, uh, agreed with, with, uh, commissioner chestnut, but then they both went on to talk about the protection of women's right to choose, which is about what? Killing babies. It's about killing babies in the womb. So you have this talking out of both sides of their mouth activity going on at the same time. You have a complete uh, disrespect for life feeding into the gun culture, but yet we need to protect a woman's right to choose a baby. But the reality is you've got two lives there. Um, you have the mother and then you have the, the baby. And you know what? Abstinence is 100%. 100% guaranteed not to lead to pregnancy so what i always talk about with abortion is it doesn't really address the uh the the issue of pregnancy and the unwanted pregnancy all it does is it's a debate about the solutions of what to do after it doesn't really get to the core uh it really just talks about the band-aid uh that is covering up the underlying issue maybe you agree with me maybe you don't uh, I know that's a hot topic a lot of media stays away uh from <laughs> from the abortion topic uh, but I'm, I'm not afraid of, of, of any of that. So, and again, it's all about growing government, growing government control, spending more money, which increases the cost of government, which increases taxes, which is getting us, uh, to our point. Uh, we're approaching 22 after the hour here on the Ward Scott files. Um, the Melden Law Studio is the only, uh, attorney's office, the law office. That is the official sponsor for the Gators, uh, and we are protected here in that studio by crime prevention security systems. So um, the Children's Trust, let's talk a little bit about the Children's Trust, because that was brought into this article and brought into this meeting. You know, Marsha Kiner, executive director of the Children's Trust of Alachua County, said the organization has added more funding for programs that can address gun violence, including $5.4 million to continue summer programs, after-school programs, tutoring, and teens work in Alachua, which is a program, Teens Work Alachua, and a million dollars to create and support youth advisory councils. Well, here's the interesting thing. If you look at your tax bill, we all just got our tax bills uh, here recently in Alachua County. The tax bills talk about all these different entities that are allowed to tax us, and the Children's Alachua County Trust is one of them. So what we have brewing here, and this is the way strategically that they actually grow government and get more money out of your pocket. You know, the legislature has a law that the taxes cannot exceed 10 mils, uh, but there's a workaround. If you create these other entities that can tax independently, it doesn't count towards your millage. So if you look at the children's trust, there's an, an additional tax extraordinary of the general fund. Uh, you have the school board. You have the library taxing district. Uh, in some areas of the county, you have the municipal tax, um, MS, MSBU, a municipal services taxing unit. Uh, so you have an extra tax for uh, law enforcement. Now we have the additional sales taxes, the infrastructure tax that goes half towards uh, wild spaces, public places. The other half uh, goes towards roads and also fire stations. So you have all of those government core services are extra tax. So what do they do? They give themselves all this leverage over your wallet to tax outside of the 10 mil cap. So they create all these entities so they can tax outside of the 10 mil and extract more and more and more money out of us for what should be a lot of core services or money that is coming out of the general fund. Well, what do they have in the general fund? All the extra stuff that they can't really sell as a separate tax. 
you know, all of those non-government core services are paid for under under those entities. And let's face it, all of these groups like the Children's Trust, they're packed with their friends uh, from the city of Gainesville, from the county commission. Uh, so I encourage people who think like I do to try to apply to some of those boards and get onto those boards. There's government uh, governor appointees on there. There are elected positions that are on there. Uh, so you can get into those groups and really kind of pull back the curtain for the rest of us about what's actually happening in some of those groups. But they take these these taxes, they pack the boards of these groups with their friends. Those friends then, therefore, funnel the money out of the tax into the after-school programs that are run by their friends. And all a lot of those money go towards... You know, after-school program is basically daycare. Uh, summer pr- programs, basically daycare. So they're extracting more and more and more taxes out of us that is growing government and its ancillary and its satellite entities, right? You see the picture. Uh, hopefully, I'm painting this picture here for you. And it just continues to grow the government, takes more money out of us, pushes it over to the east side entities in the county run by their friends because they can't do it through the general fund. And, yeah, they're going to tell you that the general fund tax millage has gone down. Uh, don't buy into that because the reality is the property taxes or the property values, rather, are going up and up and up. So if you keep the factor the same or even lower it, if the other side of the equation you know, you have the taxing millage rate, which is the X in this algebraic equation, and then you have the Y factor, which is the property value. You can change X a little bit, but if Y is changing a lot, the sum tax bill is going to be going up. I looked at my taxes. If everything had stayed the same, the taxes actually would have gone down about $500. Uh, but instead, with the millage change and the property value component, the Y component, uh, our taxes are actually going up another $200. So if you're looking at your tax bill, don't look at just the 200 Look at the where it would have been to where it is now. So that's actually a net $700 uh, tax increase really uh, for me and, and our family. I'm sure it's similar for uh, for others. We have a very average uh, lifestyle here in Alachua County uh, at this point from a, from a property value standpoint and all that sort of stuff. So uh just don't get mono focused or micro focused on just the, the that two hundred dollar difference. It's actually about seven hundred dollars in my case. So make sure you look through your tax bill and then look back at some of those other taxes because you also have uh your uh, city components that are down in kind of the section two or three of that tax bill. Uh those are taxes that your city entities like Newberry uh collect. They are collected by the property tax office uh through uh their office, and then they they send it over uh, to us. We're, we're kind of fast approaching. Goodness, we're fast approaching the bottom of the hour. I hope I haven't bored you to death there with tax talk. But uh, you know, the reality is the what the reality is here. And uh, please, uh, you know, drop your comments here. I see Ken's got a comment in here. My cell phone bill has three taxes and three company fees and surcharges of sixteen dollars and twenty two cents on a $35 base charge. (laughs) So uh, doing the quick math there, you're over 50%, Ken, just in taxes. Uh, You know, I thought we had a a war, a revolutionary war back in 1776. And I think at that time, uh, the taxing percentage of your income, so to speak, was only just a couple of percent. Boy, the founding fathers and those who fought in that war are probably rolling over in their graves right now to consider uh, Ken's tax rate on his phone bill alone of over 50%. I would argue that at this point, a good 60 to 70, maybe even 80% of our taxes are going towards, or I'm sorry, that much of our income is going towards taxes. And there's a very, very important tax that we're going to talk about on the other side of the break, and that is the inflation tax. So we're going to kind of try to bring this around full circle. Uh, stick with us as we enter into the second half of the show here at the bottom of the hour on the Ward Scott Files. We'll be right back with weather right after the break. Stick around.
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Two nights stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Meldon Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Uh, we are here live on location in the Metal Law Studios, the official law firm of the University of Florida Gators, protected by Crime Prevention Security Systems, our good friends over there. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we always talk about weather, sponsored by our good friends over at Lewis Oil. Uh, so we certainly appreciate uh, their support of the show. And here in North Central Florida, we're looking at temps in the 90s again today, but I will notice... I will note this morning when I, uh, I headed out about seven o'clock to head over here to the studio, uh, it actually felt a little bit cooler here in North Central Florida out. Uh, noticeably enough anyway that, uh, I thought maybe it was actually maybe in the seventies. Uh, but looking ahead here later on in the week, there is another tropical storm, uh, brewing out in the east, uh, eastern Atlantic. Uh, keep an eye on that for later in the week is possibly going to develop into a hurricane. And just kind of a little bit of look around the country's weather. Uh, as I said, we're expected here in the 90s in Florida. Uh, and that's going to stretch all the way up into uh, the Maryland, possibly southern New Jersey area on the East Coast, finally getting into the mid-80s, but up in Caribou, Maine, uh, out to the northwest. Cool in Seattle, 68. Uh, creeps back up as you head south down California way, uh, through California down into the Arizona area 
you're going to come back into the 90s. Uh, then as you move east across from Arizona, New Mexico into Texas, you go from those mid-90s up to uh, plus 100 uh, territory. And as you kind of go back north of Louisiana, it looks like we're going to have some thunderstorms uh, in the Oklahoma, Arkansas, upper Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee Valley area. Uh, but the central central U.S., clear and sunny. Uh, lows in the 90s. I think the place to be right now might be uh, might be Montana today. Uh, so 75, mostly sunny. Uh, Montana is a wonderful area, I'm sure. I've been as far as Yellowstone and Idaho. Or Idaho. I never really got up into Montana significantly, but that's your weather today. Uh, looking forward to a nice another nice day here in North Central Florida. Of course, areas of our uh, region are still dealing with the after effects of Adelia. Uh, lots of uh, press over the weekend. President Biden was here. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis was here multiple times. Congresswoman Kat Kamek was here. Senator Scott was also here. And uh, let me kind of use Senator Scott as a little bit of a lead in here in just a minute to our other topic here for the second half of the Ward Scott Files. But uh, just a couple other quick uh, just uh, Scores for you across the major league last night. Uh, looks like the Kansas City Royals, uh, up big over white, the White Sox 12 to one, Chicago over the Giants. Uh, Astros knocked off the Rangers, Blue Jays, uh, beat the Athletics, Boston Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Twins, the Pirates, and the Phillies all winners there. And I think Florida Gators play McNeese State. Uh, this Saturday night, it's going to be on ESPNU. Uh, check local listings. I'm not exactly sure of the time. Uh, most of the uh, these early games have now been moved to the evening uh, to combat that heat issue that we've been dealing with uh, for decades here. But back to Senator Scott, you know, I was on a Zoom call, statewide Zoom call with him uh, and our uh, Republican state chairman, uh, Christian Ziegler, last night. And Rick Scott had actually... Uh, proposed a bill at a press release over on his website, rickscott.senate.gov, uh, about Fed Chairman Jay Powell lost more than a trillion dollars of your money. This is my proposal for real accountability. And he goes on to talk about ROI. You know, Governor Scott, former Governor Scott, now Senator Scott was a businessman in the healthcare industry. Uh, say what you will about his tenure in there. Uh, the guy knows some business sense, okay? And he started to incorporate some of this ROI, return on investment, into his thinking and into his legislation. Well, the lack of accountability and guardrails has allowed the Federal Reserve to make bad decisions with no consequences, growing its balance sheet to an unsustainable $8.3 trillion and losing $1.3 trillion of your money just last year. And he says it's time for this insanity to stop. Well, let me tie this into our economic situation, okay? When you have bad economic times, there's an inverse relationship to crime. Bad economic times, crime increases because people are looking for alternatives. And we have a microeconomy here in Alachua County that is centered primarily around the University of Florida. It's a big economic driver as well as the hospital systems here. Um, and what have we had the last year or so? We've got high inflation. Uh, we've got a lot of spending at the federal level. We have a county and a city commission uh, that can't find a tax that they're willing to say no to. You have encouragement from both of these bodies to drive up the price of housing through regulation. You know, they want to get everything green. Uh, so they want all of the landlords to replace all of their windows. Uh, they want the landlords to replace all of their appliances so they're green and they have all of this economic uh, impact. Well, what is that going to do with the cost of rent? It's going to drive up the cost of, of rent because the landlords can only uh, absorb so much, right? That just kind of makes sense before they start passing it on to the renters. And business world is the same way. If if the federal government, for instance, through OSHA regulations, through executive uh, edicts and action, if they are continuing to drive up the cost of goods, it's going to drive up the price of 
the goods that we buy at our stores, the services that we pay for, just like Ken was talking about here with his phone bill, with over 50% uh, of his phone bill uh, just having taxes uh, alone. But this whole concept of the Federal Reserve, which, number one, is not federal and is not uh, reserve at all, as we <laughs> read in this uh, press release from Rick Scott uh, Senator Scott, with an $8.3 trillion balance sheet, lost over a trillion last year by itself, uh, is is criminal. And here's here's a little bit of the backstory that I wanted to get into here today on the Ward Scott Files with you, because here's what happened. This sort of hit me in the face pretty significantly. I don't do necessarily a lot of the shopping in our family. Uh, I, have a, I have a great wife that uh, tends to go to the grocery store. She kind of likes that thing, so... Just kind of let her do that. Uh, but I did go last week with the rain to a, a local uh, auto parts store and got some windshield wiper blades. <laughs> when I tell you I was in shock over the price of windshield wiper blades, uh, that would probably actually be an, uh, an understatement. Uh, the great clerk, uh, you know, he pointed me to the section, says over on row three, here's where you need to go. This is the sizes that you need, et cetera. And um, I start looking <laughs> and of course they, they price the most expensive stuff as you enter the aisle, right? So it's the first thing that you see. And lo and behold, I'm looking to my left, the first set of windshield wipers and it's one blade. It was $35, $34.99, but it was $35 for one blade. Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of magic voodoo stuff that this windshield wiper blade has, but $35 was a little bit, uh, ridiculous, uh, to spend, of course. But I know that the pricey stuff is first. So I, I kind of moved down the aisle and it doesn't go down by very much. It's $35 and then it's like $33 and then $29. I finally got something started with a two. Uh, but you know, as I'm moving and I'm moving and I'm creeping down the aisle, just looking and, you know, you're kind of looking for the size that you need at the same time. But I finally got to, you know, a, a decent brand and I think they were still $8 or $11 just for one shield wiper blade. So I bought a couple of those for my old truck. <laughs> I've got a 2004 GMC Sierra pickup truck that I drive around. It's only got about 160,000 miles on it, so it's got low mileage. But listen, the AC doesn't work. The radio doesn't work. Uh, the instrument cluster is on life support. I've got, you know, those traditional uh, southern plastic cracks in the dashboard. But, hey, it's my truck. I enjoy it, and it's paid for. I paid $10,000, I think, over at uh, Davis Chevrolet uh, many years ago as sort of a backup uh, truck for for myself. And now it's just really kind of a farm truck. But I drive it, and I like it. Uh, so I bought a pair uh, for the pickup truck. And fine, I think it was $8 a blade, $16 invested. Uh, but then I had uh, to get uh, windshield wipers for our Ford Explorer. Those, uh, I had to get a bigger, a little bit different blade. So I think those were about $22 a piece for a blade. And I had to get one for the rear windshield wiper, which I think is the wrong one anyway. So I got to go back and get that changed out. But all told, I think I walked out of there with about a $62 bill for what is essentially five uh, windshield wiper blades, for goodness sakes. But it started me thinking and getting really aggravated about the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve was started back in 1913 with the Federal Reserve Act. And it was on the heels of this whole banking crisis, one of the big banking runs from 1907. Um, and central banking is one of the key elements that government has to have in order for it to to grow and uh, be the, the the ravenous animal that it is. And it's what the big government types uh, have to have. So they've got this Federal Reserve printing press. They just continue to print money whenever they want. Uh, theoretically, Congress, under Article One, Section 8, is supposed to be uh, the entity that uh, has the purse strings. Uh, so there's a very, very weird dynamic where you'll see the president, oh, we need a, a million or billion dollars for Ukraine and a hundred billion dollars for this and a hundred for that. Well, it sounds like they've got an endless supply of money. 
And the reality is they do. They go over to the Federal Reserve. They say, hey, we need X number of dollars. Please, please print that out or digitize it for us. They dump it into the banks and boom, it goes out into the, into the economy. So there's never an opportunity that they don't say no to to spend more money. That's how we're over $30 trillion in debt at this point. But, you know, the Federal Reserve Act, 1913, the bank runs on 1907. And here is the kicker. The 1907 bank runs was created by the bankers of the time, the J.P. Morgans of the time, created this faux banking crisis in order to institute the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. And why did they need that? Hey, competition in a capitalist society is great. But you know what's even better than a capitalist society? Than competition? It's monopoly. And those bankers wanted monopoly. And they had brought this idea of central banking over from Europe to try to institute it. Paul Warburg, uh, if you read back in history and you read through the Je- creature from Jekyll Island, was a key uh, figure at this time. Uh, he got this push through uh, the Congress, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act. And just recently, uh, well, let me get back to that. So the Federal Reserve is this external of the government uh, entity. It's run by uh, a private company. And what they are able to do is mess with the dials of the economy. Whether they want to print more money, it floods the economy and waters down all the existing dollars. So their value goes down. And there's a great little pamphlet that we've put together at the Birch Society, The Truth About Inflation. Uh, and if you contact me offline, I can maybe get you a copy of this or you can probably check it out online. Uh, but when the Federal Reserve prints all this money, and I'm so thankful that more and more people are talking about this. When the Federal Reserve prints all this money and it goes into the money supply, it waters down the value. And therefore, what used to only require $1 to purchase something because the value is cut in half is now $2. So the ignorant electorate goes into the store and they say, oh, gosh, this inflation is is a price increase. I used to only pay a dollar for that windshield wiper. Now I'm paying $22 for that windshield wiper. If you're uninformed, you equate inflation with price increases. Well, it's not the same thing. It is the flooding of the market with new dollars that waters down the value, requiring more dollars I, and they just present themselves as price hikes. So that's that's another issue here where we've got all of this money that's flowing into the economic system uh, that is watering down our dollars. So those folks uh, on the lowest rung of the social socioeconomic ladder are seeing those 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 dollars going to to less and less each day. So they're paying more and more. The salaries generally do not keep up with the price of inflation. So you've got, you know, the same amount of money that you're making, but you're spending more and more of it. Prices of windshield wipers are going up. Prices of all the uh, gasoline, uh, goodness, gas is $4 a gallon again under the Bidenomics administration. Uh, but the prices of everything are going up because the dollar value is going down. It's the same thing if you think back in your high school history class, the Weimar Republic, where they're wheeling down the middle of the street with a wheelbarrow full of money when you got a wheelbarrow that's actually worth more than the money it is. Uh, there's a, a, a story about a man goes into the store to buy a loaf of bread and he comes out and his wheelbarrow's gone, <laughs> but the pile of money is all sitting there on the ground because it's uh, essentially uh, worthless. We got about 10 more minutes here on the Ward Scott Files. Um, Please get into the chat here and help me along uh, with a couple of comments. I could really uh, use it today. But um, so the Federal Reserve can print all of this money. But the reality is it's just printed money sitting on a shelf or digital ones and zeros in a computer. They can't physically put it into bank accounts directly. Uh, because if you're familiar with anything banking or accounting wise, you've got to have the assets and the liabilities balancing out, right? So if they dumped a bunch of money into everybody's bank account, for instance, overnight, 
that would would really screw that up. So the 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 government creates all these crazy programs in order to use that as a catalyst to get the money into the money supply. So we they create a program. So now there's a demand on cash for clunkers. There's a demand for, oh, I don't know, student loans, because the Obama administration took over and federalized all the uh, social the, the school loan programs for college. Uh, oh, well, maybe it's COVID money under Trump. Uh, maybe it's, oh, we need more money for, uh, Katrina relief under Bush. Oh, we need more money for this war or that war or all the fire victims over in Hawaii or now all the Adalia victims here in Florida through FEMA programs. So they create these programs, uh, that are then demanded money through. So now they've got the mechanism when they create these programs, they've got these mechanisms that uh, essentially balances out the the balance sheet. So the Federal Reserve creates the money, it gets demanded through these programs, then it goes down and funnels down into uh, the money supply. So they've got to have those mechanisms to physically get the money into the money supply. Uh, but again, they make up programs if if needed in order to create more mechanisms to get that money into the money supply. And all the while, the Federal Reserve is just kind of tinkering and tinkering with the value of the money, whether they're going to adjust the interest rates or the money supply. Whatever they're willing to do, they're going to do, and that's how they sort of try and have these target inflation numbers, have these targeting unemployment numbers and that sort of thing. But what's kind of funny is central banking only does that with money. Can you imagine if there was an entity that was also fiddling with time in the same way, changing the value of a second or a minute or an hour or a day or a year? Or let's say they had an entity that was maybe we had the federal uh weight reserve so now a pound wasn't really quite worth a pound because we needed to change that and tinker with that around so we throw a bunch of weight into the weight system and we change what was a pound now it's it takes two pounds to equal a pound which is which is kind of funky to think about it but money is the only thing that we do this with because we can through this federal reserve act of 1913 which uh, by the way, was in, institution uh, institutionalized under the Woodrow Wilson administration. He was the worst president that America's ever had because it also coupled with, uh, as we spoke about in the first half of the hour, uh, personal income tax and things like that. So when you institute the personal income tax, which was a socialist effort that we saw in the late 1900s. And then you have the Federal Reserve Act. And oh, by the way, you also had an amendment to the Constitution to take away the power from people like Senator Rick Scott uh, to be representatives of their states. You know, when the federal government originally had to collect more money, they had to get permission through the Senate through the state house before it could be charged to the individual. The, the, the amendments, they took away that check and balance, if you will. So they didn't have to go through the Senate and go through the state legislatures who elected the senators to charge people. Now they could go direct. So they had the personal income tax. Well, what does that create? It creates a, a, an elected class that just has to promise you more stuff to get your vote. So now we elect uh, both our representatives in the House and we elect our representatives in the Senate as well. It wasn't originally like that. You think about the bicameral nature of the beginning of our country. The senators were elected by the state houses and the state legislatures. So Tallahassee would have elected uh, you know, the Senator Rubio, the Senator Scott. And anytime the taxes had to be approved because the House passed the budget, the Senate essentially had to approve it. So you had this bicameral check and balance and those taxes had to come through the state legislatures. Well, you know how difficult it is to try to get in touch with your federal representative nowadays. Uh, so the, the thought was, Hey, let's make that decision of that taxing decision 
made by people closest to the ones who have to pay it. So that was your state legislatures were viewed to be closer and also a little bit more professional. They spend a little bit more time. They kind of knew the nuts and bolts. Uh, and that carried up through to the Senate as well. But once that was taken away in the 17th Amendment, then that check and balance has been gone for us for over a hundred years now. So a restoration of that sort of dynamic will, where the state legislatures elect the senators will give more power to the people like Senator Rick Scott to push back against the Federal Reserve. And this isn't anything new. Uh, those of you who uh, follow this kind of th- stuff know that the auditing of the Fed was a big hallmark of former Representative Ron Paul. And we have gotten very, very little uh, accountability in that standpoint because the Federal Reserve, again, is not the government. And one of the things that Senator Scott is pushing for is uh, a little bit more accountability on the, the the Federal Reserve. But the reality is right now he is in the minority party uh, in, in the Senate. It's still controlled by the Democrats. We'll have an election next year. Maybe that'll turn. Uh, but right now, as he said on the Zoom call uh, last night, uh, they're pretty much ignored. The Republicans are pretty much ignored in the Senate right now. Uh, the best they can hope for is to try and create some of these uh, little coalitions and get a couple of the Democrat senators to uh, be soft on a couple of issues. But as long as they stay in lockstep, uh, there's very little that the uh, minority party, in this case, the Republican senators are going to be able to do about it. Um you know, uh, here's a, here's a comment about vote for the fair tax. And I'll just kind of maybe close out on, on this. So the fair tax really speaks to everybody sort of paying uh, a, a nationalized sales tax. You know, in Florida, we have a state sales tax. Fair tax would be kind of more like the national sales tax. Um, but the one thing, uh, that the fair tax doesn't address is the amount of money being spent by Washington. So long as they have the Federal Reserve, they can continue to spend and they can take it out of our pockets through the hidden tax of inflation and we won't uh, tend to see it. Uh, the the fair tax, if I'm being honest, is just a Band-Aid on the issue more, more than anything because the root cause is the spending and the way the federal government is running. And they are allowed to run the way they are because we have the Federal Reserve and we have them pumping money into the market uh, that waters down our dollar and is a hidden tax. So when you have uh, the Federal Reserve and the hidden tax of inflation – pushing down uh, pressure on the economic system that we have, this the pseudo-capitalist system that we have now, uh, it creates for a bad, bad economic system or an economic uh, environment. Uh, you have people that are losing their jobs. You have government officials that are driving up costs through regulation, particularly in the city of Gainesville, particularly here locally in the Alachua County uh, Commission where they're you know, heck, they want to uh, get everybody to pay for a, a water sprinkler license and inspector license. So you continue with all of these different weaponizations of all these federal entities, putting pressure down on the economic environment. And it gets paid for most and impacts people the most that are on the lowest socioeconomic rung of the ladder. Uh, that tends to be marginal uh, groups, that tends to be minorities, uh, unfortunately. And who do these people placate to when they go out to uh, campaign? You know, they tell these people that they're going to make it better. They tell these people that it's going to be uh, better. Just vote for me and I'll fix it all. And they never, ever, ever, ever do. That mantra is most pushed by the Democrats nowadays, uh, and I encourage any of our minority audience, any of our marginally displaced audience, social, economic, low uh, audience, stop doing it. Stop beating your head against the wall and do what has been started over the last couple of, of, of years in this uh, election environment is start walking away. You've got to see the reality of what's happening. It's not the Republicans uh, so much uh, that are creating the situation. It's the Democrat Party. And to bring it full circle, we go back to Eugene Debs, 
pushing for these socialist entities, pushing for things like Labor Day uh, that we celebrated uh, yesterday, uh, bringing forth the idea of Karl Marx and Mark and uh, uh, Engels, and it it just continues. You know the 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 communists downtown Gainesville know exactly what they're doing. Don't for one second think that they don't know exactly the history that I've kind of gone through with you. Maybe not to the degree they may have not dotted every I and crossed every T with regards to it, uh, but it's in their nature. They want to grow government. That's going to drive up costs, and who's going to get hurt the worst? It's the people down at the bottom of the ladder, and they those folks can't uh, buy homes. Uh, they can't move up because their jobs are usually transitional into the middle America. And let's face it, uh, socialism doesn't create equality for everybody. It creates two classes, the haves and the have-nots. They've got to attack the middle class, and that's exactly what you're seeing. Uh, it's been a good fast hour here today on the Word Scott Files. I've been your host, Tim Martin. We appreciate everything that you do. Check out our sponsors, and we will see you back tomorrow. Ward will be back tomorrow at 9 o'clock, same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you all for joining us today. Appreciate it.